0: All right. Hello and welcome to R&R Podcast brought to you by Successful New Life. Um, I'm here with Alan Carpenter today who's had a traumatic experience that turned out to change his life for the better. It was in fact a blessing in disguise and he's here with me today. He's an author of a book. I had the wonderful time of listening to one of his stories and we'll be doing that in a later podcast as well. Um on June 16, 2013, Allen was in the central or in central California hiking the 2660-mile long Pacific Coast Crest Trail on his way from Mexico to Canada. He made a foolish attempt to cross a 20-foot long stretch of icy trail on a steep mountainside. He slipped and hurtled 100 feet down a steep icy gully and slammed into a boulder. After regaining consciousness, Alan managed to crawl out of the gully and up a steep, rocky mountainside to the trail. Later, he was rescued by a helicopter courtesy of the California Highway Patrol and flown to a hospital in Reno, Nevada. Back home, Alan initially whined and complained about being injured. (laughs) Happily, he he soon realized that whining and complaining was not helping him feel better or heal faster. In his incapacitated condition, he realized that he had taken his life, his health, and his well-being for granted. He vowed to rejuvenate his life. Alan has spent much of the past five years researching how to do just that. His forthcoming book, Choose Better, Live Better, reveals on nine evidence-based lifestyle choices that nurture body, mind, and spirit. Making better choices in our daily life can stack the deck in favor of vibrant health and emotional well-being. Despite his pain and anguish, Ellen's injury turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to him because it motivated him to elevate his life to a higher level. Alan currently lives in Boulder, Colorado with his wife, Betsy Neely. They have two grown children, Helen and Riley. Ellen, I'm glad to have you on the program.
1: Well, thanks for... Inviting me. I appreciate it, Robert.
0: Wonderful. <laughs> so I'm just going to ask you some quick interview questions, let sure. the listeners know you a little better. And then, um, you know, as we discussed before, probably have you back later just to do your lo- your uh, more narrative stories themselves. And they're wonderful stories. I've actually heard one of them myself. I haven't heard the other, but I'd be excited to hear that in the future. So
1: you'll enjoy them.
0: <laughs> oh, Yeah. So, uh, what prompted you to walk from Mexico to Canada? It
1: turns out that in December of 2007, I was surfing the web at my house in Boulder, Colorado. It was a cold, snowy night, and I came across a website for the John Muir Trail in California. This trail runs from Yosemite National Park south down to Mount Whitney, which... Uh, most people know is the highest point in the lower 48 states it goes through the spectacular portion of the sierra nevada mountains now this guy that had hiked the trail the previous summer posted these amazing photographs of the scenery along the trail and those photographs were so cool i decided just right then and there i'm hiking the john muir trail next summer I didn't have any idea how I was actually going to do that, but that was a minor matter because I was so pumped by those photographs. It turned out that I did hike the John Muir Trail the next summer, and it, was, it was, exceeded my wildest expectations about how it would be. Along the way, I found out that the John Muir Trail coincides with the Pacific Crest Trail for about 175 miles. And from other people that I talked to that knew about the Pacific Crest Trail, it sounded even cooler than the John Muir Trail. When I got home after my John uh, John Muir Trail hike, I kept thinking about the Pacific Crest Trail, and I got more excited and more excited. And finally, one day in a fit of irrational exuberance, my enthusiasm boiled over, and I vowed, I'm going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail in one go, I hadn't the faintest idea how to actually do that. <laughs> I, I was so excited by the beauty I experienced along the John Muir Trail that I just had to do this Pacific Crest Trail hike, and I vowed to do it. It took me another five years to get the project actually off the ground and to do it, but I started in April twentieth of
0: two thousand thirteen. Wow, that's wonderful. <laughs> so just seeing some pictures that someone else took that I hiked it, basically spurred you to walk pretty much across the nation or across the United States, right? That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is. <laughs> so I've heard there's a bit of like a culture with hiking, and hikers have different trail names. Do you have a trail name?
1: Uh, actually, I don't. I'm somewhat of a contrarian at heart, and it, maybe it's a maybe it's a rather juvenile aspect of my personality. But if everybody's doing something one way, my tendency is to do the opposite.
0: Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> Forgive me for my faults.
0: No, it, no, that's fine. It,
1: it turns out that most people through hikers, as they're called people who are going to hike the trail from one end to the other in one go have trail names like rocket man or llama man or bamboo bob but i decided i would just go by alan and it turned out because i didn't have a trail name people remember Allen, because i don't think i ever met one other hiker on any of my hikes who who went by Alan. So I was actually quite identifiable, even without a trail name.
0: That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, well, at least your name's not Robert like me because that wouldn't work. (laughs) There would probably
1: be at least another couple Roberts out there.
0: Yeah, a handful for sure. That's funny. Um, So now, do you generally hike by yourself or do you like to travel with others when you hike?
1: I generally uh, hike myself in the sense that I uh, don't show up at the start of these long distance hikes with a companion. And the reason for that is that most people can't afford to take the time off from their their, uh, busy lives to spend four and a half months hiking. (laughs) Or uh, they they don't want to sleep on the ground every day and they don't want to get bitten by mosquitoes and deal with eating dried food for months on end. So it's, it's not really easy to find uh, companions. Uh, also, um, I'm, when I started hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, I was 65. And I couldn't hike as fast as the vast majority of the other hikers either. So, so I ended up hiking by myself most of the time, although I would meet other hikers occasionally and hike with them. What I really like to do was camp with someone at night. Because then we could chat and cook dinner together and talk about this and talk about that. And for me personally, as long as I had someone to camp with at night, I was perfectly happy.
0: <laughs> That's funny. And it actually leads into my next question. I had. So um, do you camp along the trail or do you go off into the forest or how does that part work?
1: Well, it, it kind of depends, but usually it's camping fairly close to the actual trail. And part of the reason for me to do that was so I could see other people. Uh, so I would uh, camp maybe just, a I don't know, 20, 30 feet from the trail. So when somebody else would come along, I could say hi and chat with that person for a while. Uh, but on occasion, maybe every week or so, I would end up going into town to resupply with food. And sometimes I would stay at a hostel or sometimes uh, trail angels, these wonderful people who would help out hikers, would uh, put me up for the night in their homes. So in those situations, I didn't camp out, but then I could sleep in a bed and take a shower and eat massive quantities of food, which I thoroughly enjoyed.
0: <laughs> what does your um, wife think about all this? Does she go with you on these um these big long expeditions I should call them. Cause you know, most people think of hiking. They might go out on the weekend for a day, go walk around and come back. You know, I would say it's a little bit more along the lines of an expedition where you're walking yes. for that many months in a row. What does she think about it? Well,
1: I, um, I think, uh, in one sense, my wife has more common sense than I do <laughs> <And she laughs> want to do something like this. Um, uh, that said though, when when I first started doing this, um, I was working for myself as an ecological consultant, so I could take time mm. off. Uh, she was uh, working for a conservation organization in a normal job, and she couldn't afford to take all that time off. So that's really the reason why uh, she didn't uh, go on long-distance hikes with me. Plus, the idea of walking 20 miles a day, day after day after day after day, was really not as appealing to her. As it was for me,
0: <laughs> but, yeah, that's but, funny. Yeah,
1: but all that said, though, uh, she has uh, joined me on uh, short portions of some of my other hikes. For example, she and my son Riley joined me for the first couple days of my John Muir Trail hike. She also joined me for a piece of my one of uh, my, my hikes on the Colorado Trail. So she in, enjoys that stuff. Uh, But she really wasn't in a position to join me for those long-distance hikes. Uh, That said, though, she's now retired as of this last August. And this summer, she and I are going to spend two-plus months bicycling across the United States on the northern tier route from Anacortes, Washington, to Bar Harbor, Maine. So we get to do that together, and that'll be wonderful.
0: That is wonderful and I'm glad to hear it, you know, and she's so supportive of this sort of thing and, you know, and yeah. And that'll be great for you guys to both get out together and do that sort of thing. That is wonderful. Yes. Um, So now it leads to another question. How exactly, so if you're out for that long, you know, four months or more, how do you get around the food and water supply other than, I know you mentioned the trail angels and the towns and stuff. Is there any other ways that you resupply with, food and water
1: well for the water uh, it's uh, depending upon the trail and the portion of the trail Uh, for example the southern california portion of the pacific crest trail is dry as uh, most people know much of southern california is desert or if it's not desert it's semi-arid at least it turns out that uh, a gal named yogi her trail name has uh, created (laughs) this guidebook for the pacific crest trail and Every hiker buys this guidebook, and in the guidebook, she lists places where there's water availability. So as a hiker, if I start out at the beginning of the Pacific Crest Trail at the border with Mexico southeast of San Diego, I know that the first really reliable water is going to be at Hauser Creek at mile 15.5 from the guidebook so i know i need to take quite a bit of water with me especially if it's going to be a hot day so i can resupply at hauser creek but also on the pacific crest trail at least there's this thing called a water report that other hikers send in info about water and so i would check the water report and maybe um Water wouldn't be available at Hauser Creek at mile 15.5, and I would probably know that. So I'd have to carry a lot of water. Oh, gosh. So that was always a, a consideration. Sometimes, though, there are places, uh, particularly where the trail would cross a road, where trail angels would set up water caches. And sometimes they'd build little frames and put these gallon jugs of water inside these little frames with log books and all this kind of stuff. And those were uh, known to the hikers through the guidebook. So sometimes there were springs. Sometimes there were creeps that that I would know would have water in them. Uh, As far as food was concerned, uh, when you're hiking 20 miles a day, you're burning up 4,500, 5,000 calories. You just can't carry enough food to compensate for all that energy you burn up. So every week or so, is a going-to-town time. So a typical situation would be you arrive at a a road crossing where the trail crosses the highway, and you hitchhike into town, and you go to the grocery store, if there is one, or you may have sent yourself a box of food to the post office, so you go over and pick it up, and you resupply there, and then you go to the local restaurant, And eat as much as you possibly can. (laughs) You eat breakfast or you eat lunch or you eat dinner, and that was so good, then you just might as well eat another one since you're already there. Uh. And then you might go over to the convenience store and buy a pint of ice cream and eat that, or buy a pint of or a quart of chocolate milk and drink that. So the food is always a big issue on the on these long distance trails, but eating is such a wonderful part of it because um, as a long distance hiker, you can eat as much as you want of whatever you want, whenever you want,
0: and you will not gain weight (laughs) <laughs> that's wonderful yeah i know when i went to disney world it was a bit opposite i seemed to be walking all day but i was still getting weight. i guess that's the magic of disney huh <laughs> yeah well you probably had more eating opportunities at disneyland than i did oh too I- many opportunities <laughs> but no and i, I actually my, me and my parents used to go hiking all the time as a kid we'd go um in grand junction they have a lot of you know on the western slope they have a, the book clips there and everything <laughs> yeah. and i used to love it yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it gets pretty hot out there, I'll tell you what, though. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, just curious, so when you'd have to take a week or so um, in between going to town and stuff, how much does your backpack end up weighing? Like, how much are you carrying around? And then you're mentioning also um, a whole packing kind of like your own campsite as well. Yeah. So, uh, how big is your and ba- How heavy is it? How much is it weighing you down, you know, as you're walking around like right. that?
1: Well, uh, it mostly depends upon uh, how much water I have to carry. Is water mm-hmm. dense? So a pint of water weighs a pound. So for example, to start the Pacific Crest Trail, if the first water was at mile fifteen and a half, I'd probably end up carrying four liters of water. That's over eight pounds of water. plus, mm-hmm. I have at least uh, a day or two worth of food. So I there's this concept in long-distance hiking called pack weight, which is the weight of the pack and what's inside, not counting water, food, and fuel. So my pack weight was, oh, 10 to 12 pounds, something like that, because I was very attentive to not carrying things I didn't need. So there's this guy who's a Pacific Crest Trail hiker called Warner Springs Monty, his trail name. And he made up this little saying. It says, the weight goes, as the weight goes down, the fun goes up. And I really paid attention to that. Because if you're going to be walking 20 miles a day, day after day, you don't want to carry stuff that's extraneous. So I would mm. typically carry my, say, 12 pounds of pack weight, then, if I when I started the PCT, I started off with eight pounds of water, probably. So there's twenty pounds, and maybe five pounds of food. So there's another five pounds. So maybe twenty-five pounds. But I don't. I think the most I ever carried was about thirty-two pounds in this year's mm. because I was going for a hundred fifty miles without a resupply.
0: My oh, goodness. Do you see a lot of people making that mistake where they're carrying around like (laughs) a huge pack full of a ton of stuff or anything like that? Or is it generally most people know? Most people know uh, on
1: the Pacific Crest Trail. I think um, most people realize this is going to be a huge undertaking and they take the time to find out what they need to take. They do their homework. They read the yoga guide. Hmm and most, excuse me most of them show up pretty well understanding what the what the scoop is when i hiked the appalachian trail it was quite different there uh, many people seemed to show up with really only a dim idea of what it is that they were going to be doing out there uh, which was kind of interesting um, did, i don't know if you did you ever see the uh, book or the movie wild did you ever run across that, Robert?
0: Mm-mm. No, I but, haven't, personally. Yeah.
1: Well, it's a, a really wonderful book written by this woman named Cheryl Strade, made into a movie where Reese Witherspoon portrayed Cheryl. And Cheryl hiked about, well, I think it was 1,100 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail. And when she showed up, she had no idea what she was doing. She had this gigantic <laughs> pack that was so heavy she could barely lift it off the ground. So there, there are folks who show up unprepared, but I think most that people is funny. do their homework. <laughs> yeah, it's a really wonderful book. I, I highly recommend it.
0: Hmm. That's funny. Well, um, you know, I kind of mentioned where you had that very, very traumatic, you know, experience. You're airlifted and everything. And I'm sure you have tons of adventures when you're out there. Was there any other difficulties or things that you encountered that you had to overcome other than that very large you know, almost pretty much life-threatening um, situation that you ended up in at that one time. Mm-hmm. Was there other sure. smaller challenges? I'm sure. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm getting.
1: There at. were lots of challenges, and one of one of the most uh, important, really, is, some people might not think of it, but is getting my mind developing a mindset that I was actually going to be able to do this. Because you think about it for a minute. Well, let's see, now can I can I walk for two thousand six hundred and sixty miles from Mexico to Canada? And a lot of people their eyes would bug out. And no, I couldn't possibly do that. Well, it is possible, but it takes a certain amount of mental conditioning. And so when I was um preparing to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, one of the things I did was to find journals on a website called trailjournals.com of people who'd hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. And I looked for people who were older and who were out of shape and seemingly didn't really know anything about what they were doing, but who were able to succeed anyway. And my belief was, wow, if this guy who's 65 years old could hike the trail, I can do it too. Or if this guy who showed up at the border down southeast of San Diego was overweight and out of shape, if he could do it, I can do it too. So developing the mindset that I could actually be successful was absolutely huge. And then as I as I would walk along, I'd, you know, encounter difficulties. Like, for example, at the start of the second day, I started hiking with one of my younger hiker pals, and I wasn't paying attention and got off the trail. He wasn't paying any attention either. He was following me, and we realized, well, we got off the trail, and I, I started thinking, wow, <laughs> I can't even follow the trail. <laughs> Am I going to be able to do this? And I, thought, So at that point, it was, okay, I made a little mistake, uh, we recovered from this mistake and joined the trail. But dealing with little uh, setbacks like that is really important. Just realizing, okay, yeah, I made a mistake, but I can get over this. That wasn't a problem. Another, m- another mistake I made in Southern California was miscalculating water. And I, and I, I ran out of water one day. Oh, and gosh. as I realized what had happened... I thought, well, okay, I I can do this. I'm going to be thirsty, but I can do this. I'll just keep keep walking, keep walking, keep walking, and I I made it to water. But it but it was um, a good lesson in just sort of maintaining a sense of, of peacefulness about it all and not panicking, and then realizing I can do this. So there were all kinds of little things like that 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 I encountered that were challenges, but as I as I dealt with them over time, I became much more confident that I was able to actually do this and I was going to be successful.
0: So you slowly built your mental kind of resiliency over these smaller challenges before you were faced with a very large challenge. Yes, correct? yes yeah, that, that is
1: exactly right. I think it just mirrors life generally. Mm-hmm. As we go through life, we run into problems. We run into setbacks. We make mistakes. We do things that are stupid. We encounter situations that we haven't encountered before. So, well, okay, so what do we do? Well, if we can respond resourcefully in situations like that and tend to stay calm, we're much more likely to respond in a way that's helpful to us rather than go off the deep end.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. So you learned to keep a cool head under the smaller situations and eventually built up to where you had a big situation. You're able to do the same, which we're going to lead to now. Right. Yes. Um, now we're going to kind of lead into what happened with that big major event I had mentioned earlier. So, um, there was a big icy trail basically, right? Yes. And you had to cross it, but then something happened and I was kind of let you take over from here. Um, but basically, what, what initially even caused you to try to go, take this icy trail other than, you know, it being in your path up north? Right.
1: Well, what happened was that um, I was ravenously hungry. So I, <laughs> I know this sounds completely ridiculous, <clears throat> but my ravenous hunger hijacked my conscious mind. And as I stood there at the edge of this icy trail, <clears throat> I was focused on the prospect of stuffing my face at the all-you-can-eat buffet at Harris Casino, <laughs> 30 miles up the trail, and, and, and I, I knew intellectually <clears throat> that if I walked across this trail and slipped, I'd hurtle down this icy gully into a bunch of boulders, but my stomach overcame my rational mind and i started walking across and i slipped it 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 just sounds absolutely ludicrous but that's exactly what happened i could have had i had my wits about me stopped and turned around and walked back oh i don't know a quarter mile something like that half a mile. And found a way to go around that icy stretch of trail, and that's probably what a lot of more sensible hikers did. <laughs> but but I just lost it uh, temporarily, and and so I, I slipped and I rocketed down this icy going as you said, slammed into a, a boulder. My goodness! And, and so I, I lay there for some period of time unconscious. And I, I, at some point, I actually woke up, and I, I I, realized I wasn't dead. That was really a nice feeling <laughs> to have, <laughs> which was kind of strange in a way. But anyway, I, I tried to stand up, but I, I, I couldn't, and I fell down. And it, it was just, um, it, it was really strange in that I was not afraid. I, I'm not quite sure why I wasn't afraid. But I wasn't afraid, and I, I just kind of sized up my situation and thought, well, okay, so here I am, and and I kind of looked around and checked myself out, and and it felt like a, every bone in my body was broken. Now, it obviously wasn't, but that's what it felt like. But then I noticed that there was a big hole in my leg. I, I guess a chunk of ice had gouged a hole, and I was just bleeding profusely from that hole. And as I'm sitting there, I look at that and I think, well, <clears throat> that's not good. I wonder <laughs> how long I have before I'll bleed to death. And and I I calculated that, and I felt like, well, I think I've got about thirty minutes. Okay, I better do something about this. <laughs> and it was, I I think what was really happening was um, I had the good fortune to grow up in Boy Scouts, and and I know this may sound odd. But my Boy Scout training when I was 12 to 15 years old, I think, helped me maintain a sense of calmness and to just relax and say, okay, here's my situation. What am I going to do about it? Oh, I'm bleeding to death. That's not good. Ah, I'll put a little chunk of bandana in that hole to plug it up so I don't bleed to death. I did that, and it worked. And then I realized, well... I'd better get back up to the trail, because if I could do that, then at some point someone's going to come along and rescue me, and and that's in fact what happened. And I got mm-hmm. airlifted and ended up in a hospital in Reno, Nevada. But I but I I was able to to maintain a sense of calmness. That I I can't completely understand, but as I said, I think it had a lot to do with my Boy Scout training. And then also as an adult, I had water safety instructor training, first aid training, CPR stuff, you know, like going to the Red Cross, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that was in large part responsible for me surviving, but um, there was more to it than that that I'll explain
0: on our subsequent podcast well also triumphing over those other smaller challenges as well probably right now do you think if you would have been hit with that on your first day out of trail hiking ever you know what i mean do you think you would have been back and uh do you think you would have had a different outcome potentially Uh, without oh yeah kind of yeah yeah it
1: yes my prospects would not have been nearly as good i think yeah, I that by the time I, I made that really stupid decision, I'd been hiking for, I think it was 58 days. So I had a mm. fair amount of experience, and <clears throat> I'd made some mistakes, and I. so I think mm. I had a better sense of, okay, I can deal with this.
0: That makes perfect sense. Yeah, and that's what I was, you know, kind of lead, leading to, and that makes, so it was on your 58th day that you had fallen and injured yourself very badly, right?
1: Uh, yes, I believe, yeah. And now how
0: bad were you hurt from that fall? And that. Well. Like uh, the official autopsy, you know what I mean, yeah. that the hospital said.
1: Yeah, well, it, it turned out later I realized um, I had fractured several ribs because when I, I ran into this boulder, I hit on the right side and, and cracked several vertebrae. Um, I didn't hit my head, which is the reason why I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't have survived that um i had also uh, the impact of hitting the boulder just uh damaged my lungs such that uh fluid started to seep into the uh, area between my lungs and my chest and you know because our lungs don't have any uh, structural capacity themselves you know if you if you took out somebody's lungs and put them on a table they just sort of collapse so my mm-hmm. lung was starting was to collapse because of the fluid building up around it. So that was not good. It's so, nice. uh, so these were uh, potentially life threatening, but it it certainly could have been a lot worse.
0: For you were t- able to travel all the way back to the trail, even in that condition.
1: Right, and
0: i i think wow.
1: I think the reason for that is I just decided I wasn't going to die down there, and the only <laughs> way I figured to be rescued or to get help was to crawl back up to the trail because I wasn't sure someone on the trail could see me down by that boulder. So I was, it was just kind of, well, okay, so I'm going to crawl back up to the trail. And so I crawled out of the icy gully and I crawled back up to the trail and it was so steep and rocky and it just hurt like the devil. But it was, uh, it was, it was not this kind of thing where, um i thought about it really in, in a kind of thinking sense i just decided i'm gonna do it period i don't care how much it hurts i don't care about anything i'm gonna do it i think kind of like these stories every once in a while you hear about some mom whose son is out working underneath the car and the car falls off the jack and she goes out and sees the situation and picks up the bumper of the car and, and the kid crawls out And of course, the mom could never do that otherwise,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. because she she sees the situation and she is so focused, she is able to do something she knows otherwise she couldn't do. And I think that there was some something sort of like that in my situation. I was able to do something rationally. I thought there's no way I could do this, but I did.
0: Hmm. So there's there's
1: just no doubt in your mind
0: either. Then I assume, right?
1: No, there was no doubt. I was going to do this. And I, that this, I've read accounts of people involved in hiking and climbing accidents, and this is not uh, uncommon. People get hurt seriously. They just decide, well, okay, I'm going to rescue myself. I'm going to get from here to there, and then I'll get help. And, and they do it. I'm not sure exactly how that happens, but somehow we're able to tap into that well of inner strength that we have that we sometimes don't know that we have or don't know it's as deep and powerful as it actually is.
0: That's wonderful. Um, Now, I'm wondering, and I'm sure everyone else is wondering as well, did you happen to finish this Pacific Crest Trail, even though you kind of got thwarted by this big fall and everything?
1: Well, when I ended up in the hospital for five days when I got discharged for the hospital, I was hoping the doctor, his name was Scott, would say, Alan, go home. Or, yes, why don't you spend a week in Reno just resting and then get back on the trail? And he said, listen, Buster, you're going home and you're going to stay there and rest for eight to ten weeks. Oh, God. Oh, I was just, <laughs> I was just so bummed out. You mean, how about, how about next week, Scott? No, you're not going to do that. So I was really bummed out and so because i wanted this is my goal I, I really wanted to do this this hike the whole thing in one season <laughs> so i wasn't able to do that but i i recovered and got over my injuries and got my mind in a good place and that i started about a year later on uh, july 1st about 10 miles from the point where i fell previous to that point and i started hiking and on september the 8th of 2014 i reached the canadian border and it was um it was one of the just the, not being at the border so much but the experience of getting there i think was it was the neatest thing i'd ever done it was so gratifying and emotionally powerful and i think maybe the most um Powerful aspect of that experience was experiencing the kindness and the generosity of other people. People helped me so many times on that trip, not just being rescued, but little things like people leaving a a gallon of water by the trail at a road crossing where I could get water or giving me a ride into town or buying me dinner. And I experienced, I I kept track of this in my journal. I I counted 144 separate acts of kindness that I experienced from other people while I was hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. And that really changed me. And I'm not alone. Other hikers have had that just same experience. They, they, They get all this help and kindness from other people. And they're different people after they finish the trail. And I've had female hikers tell me that they pick up hitchhikers now as a consequence of all the help they got while they were hiking the trail.
0: Hmm.
1: Yes, it's, it's really amazing.
0: That is wonderful. And it's kind of counterintuitive from what you hear a lot in the mainstream media and that sort of thing, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. If you
1: read the papers these days or watch television you, you might come to the conclusion that we're going to hell in a handcart <laughs> but it but i think we hikers br- can bring out the best in other people this when we show up in town people living in these towns near the trail know what hikers look like uh, and that they realize uh, we're doing this big huge thing and people sometimes just come over and say, wow, that's great what you're doing. I wish I could do that. And they, they're, these townsfolks can get vicarious enjoyment out of talking with us. And I don't remember ever having had some, having an experience that was negative, like people telling me, why are you doing this? This is stupid. You shouldn't be doing this. Or, gosh, I hope you fall down and break your leg. I, I've never had anything like that happen to me. It's just completely to the to the contrary. People are happy to help and and I get lots of attaboys from folks. It it just shows that I think there's this sentiment in the world of kindness and generosity that the media often overlook because
0: I think it just maybe doesn't sell advertising space. Hmm. I understand that. Now, I'm, I'm kind of curious. So after you had your big accident and everything, and then you said, I want to go back and do it again, what did Betsy say? What did your um, wife say about yeah. that? <laughs> well, I'm just curious. I thought
1: if 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 there were only me to consider in the world, I would have started at the uh, Mexican border and done the whole thing again. But I thought, well, with, in deference to Betsy, how about if I start? as I said, about 10 miles from the point where I fell. So I would finish the trail, but I wouldn't do the whole thing over again. And she was okay, <laughs> she was okay with that. And, and I am highly grateful for her support, not just being sort of grudgingly willing to let me do that, but saying, sure, go right ahead. I know it's really important to you. And I'm very thankful for her um not just willingness, but for encouragement for me to do that. That's wonderful.
0: (laughs) It is wonderful. And you're lucky. (laughs) Yes, I know.
1: Yes, I know.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, So now you've kind of been alluding to this, but has there been any other long-distance hiking trips that you've taken other than this specific trail? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. I I, uh, decided I wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. So I started that from uh, Springer Mountain, Georgia in 2016, and ended up hiking up into New Hampshire to Hanover, where Dartmouth College is located. And um, at that point, um, I went home because my mom uh, was moving out to Colorado from her home in Illinois, and she uh, injured her back, and she needed help. So I just Got off the trail. It was more important for me to go home and help mom than it was to continue hiking,
0: of course. So,
1: and that, but the next year I went back and it from Hanover and hiked for oh, I don't know, it was about a couple of weeks, and then I got banged up again uh in a place called uh, the what's it called Mahusic Arm. Anyway, it's a portion of the trail that's extremely rocky and full of boulders and all that. And I got really beat up. And I was concerned, actually, that I was going to fall down and break my leg. And I I didn't want to be rescued again. I just didn't want to put people having to deal with me. So I went back home. Uh, probably I should have taken a week off and just sat in a motel for, or a campground and just gotten my mind, scored away, and, and continued hiking. But I didn't. But anyway, so this summer... My wife and I definitely, are going to uh, ride across the country. And then at the end of that, I'm going to finish the last 270 miles of the
0: Appalachian Trail. So, That's wonderful. Yeah. So. And, you know, and I think, you know, I don't want to be too intrusive, but, you know, your age is something to be kind of admired in this situation because um, me and my fiance are involved in a number of uh kind of retirement homes and that sort of thing. And we see people that are much younger than you in way worse physical condition than you or physical shape. You know, you are in great shape and, you know, you move around. And I think you're more energetic than me in a lot of ways. (laughs) Now I'm quite a bit younger. Um, Do you, do you think that's kind of an inspiration to a lot of people that are hitting retirement and think, Oh, well now it's time to sit around and, you know, kind of veg out for a number of years. Do you think that it would be, you know, this is a great alternative your lifestyle uh, to that? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I'm not. My my purpose in life is not to tell other people what to do. Or yeah, I don't want to hold myself up as a sort of I'm great and uh, you can be that way too. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- w- my. Purpose in life, uh, one of the things that I found out as a consequence of getting hurt and spending five years researching how to rejuvenate my life, there are all these wonderful things we can do on an everyday basis to really, as you mentioned earlier, stack the deck in favor of my long term, vibrant health and emotional well being. And so I've been doing these things, and they matter. And like one of them is called cultivate social connections is to just get out there in the world and make friends, meet new people, have new experiences. These things really matter. And so one of the things I do is to talk to people at retirement homes and explain these, what I call these nine healthy choices to them. Not that they should do this, but if they want to continue to have a really wonderful life or ramp it up, these are things they can do. And they're a lot of them are pretty simple. They don't require a lot of expense or high-tech stuff or anything. So that's that's uh, what I want to do is share what I've learned with other people. So if they're interested in reviewing in their lives or taking it to a higher level, here are some tools that they can use to do that.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah, and you'll probably find those in your books, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, the book, the Choose Better, Live Better, it's basically focused on these nine lifestyle choices that nurture body, mind, and spirit. The the body, mind, and spirit idea is it's the whole of human existence, essentially. Because I think a lot of times when we think about health, we think of just the body. But it's much more than that. We are a body and a mind and a spirit, at least in the way I see things. And in order to have a really wonderful life, we need to pay attention to all those things. A healthy body, a healthy mind, and a healthy spirit. And mm. when when we are attentive to those things, then we can do all these wonderful things in life, like bicycle across the United States at age 72,
0: so you become kind of unstoppable, right? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: this a uh, part of it too. Is is these uh, long distance hikes and bicycling trips are so wonderful for me. Now they're not for everybody, but they're so wonderful for me that I am highly motivated to do things to, so I can continue to do this. So, for example, yesterday, a uh, Monday, I went. To the gym because I go to the gym on Mondays, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's not a big huge. Oh, I got to go to the gym. It's oh, I get to go to the gym today because I connect in my mind. If I do that, then I'm going to be much more likely to be able to do these things that I really love to do. Plus, there's all sorts of other things like that too.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you going to meet people, like you said, you get to interact, and you get sure. To- Yeah. And, you know, you can't just come out of nowhere and be able to cycle across the United States, you know, after doing nothing for however many years. So, So, Robert, you mentioned
1: something. Let me just follow up with that. That if when people approach retirement, if if their idea is to just sort of sit around and veg out, well, that's up to them if that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, Who am I to say otherwise? But I think if people who are thinking like that, That's probably not going to be in their long-term self-interest because when they become inactive, both in a physical sense and in a mental and spiritual sense, that's probably going to shorten their life and they're going to be restricted in what they can do physically and mentally. Um, So I would encourage people, if that's kind of where they're headed, to maybe reconsider that and if they think well you know maybe veggie not yeah maybe that's not what i it's maybe that's really not in my long-term self-interest i would
0: encourage rethinking exactly yeah kind of the pros and cons of doing that you know and i think everything in substance you know i'm sure you have days where you relax and take it off you know to recuperate and that sort of thing but just only solely doing that you know it's probably gonna have detrimental effects on their health and lifespan like you alluded to and so that's wonderful so yeah I mean I think and a lot of people I hear this all the time they say well I'm too old I'm too old I'm too old but I think that you are a role model for people that say that sort of thing you know and um and I think they could find you as a role model to go oh wait maybe I'm not Kind of like how you had mentioned, Yeah. oh, well, I looked up the list of other trailblazers that, you know, had done this trail themselves. And you're trying to find people that, you know, to convince yourself mentally that you can do it, you know. And I think they can use you now as the same thing as a role model. You had done it or you'd been going and then uh, not only were you. Um, you were you have plenty of years ahead of you but you know older than most people probably that you met on the trail <laughs> doing sure. that sort of excursion yeah. and then also you suffered a major injury and then you still finished it out and that's kind of grit that you build up you know challenging yourself over and over and over and over and you build up your grit and you know and it's something that's kind of getting lost nowadays and um it'd be great if people can find that back and use it to achieve their own personal goals not necessarily hiking but you know whatever goals that they're doing and i I completely understand your wonderful message and yeah i think it's great
1: (laughs) but let me just
0: mention one thing when i hiked the colorado
1: trail this must have been in 2009 i was um about mile 75 And I ran across this guy named Roger. He was sitting on a bench by the side of the trail. So I went over and said hi to him. He he was an older fellow, I could tell. And we chatted, and I said, well, Roger, do you mind telling me how old you are? He said, (laughs) no, I'm 78. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I was, I think, about, what, 67 at the time. Mm -hmm. And And I asked him, well, are you hiking the entire Colorado Trail? It's just under 500 miles long. He said, yes, I'm going to do the whole thing. And I thought, well, good for you. And you know what? He did. He hiked the whole trail that summer. <laughs> he, he did it more slowly than I did. In fact, his trail name was Many Sleeps because it was going to take him <laughs> many sleeps to finish the trail. But he did it at age 78. And it wasn't that cool.
0: And, I know. And if Roger funny.
1: could do that, well, I can do that too.
0: That and is wonderful.
1: For the, for the for everybody, we often cart around self-limiting beliefs about ourselves. And, oh, I can't do that. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not enough of this. I'm too much of that. But a lot of that stuff just isn't true. And if we can slowly um, appreciate those beliefs that we have. And if we can say, you know, I don't think that's really true. I am capable of doing this stuff. Maybe not today, but if I start working, then I can work up to it and I can do something that's really important to me. And wouldn't that be cool to be able to do that?
0: That is wonderful. So we've kind of been alluding to this, you know, a little bit, but... Personally, what is the most important thing that you learn from all these various long distance adventures that you've had over the years?
1: I think
0: it would be
1: that the vast majority of people in the world are kind and generous folks. And that and that if if I approach other people with a, from a kind of place of friendliness And generosity and kindness, people will almost always respond in kind. And just forget about all the stuff you read about in the newspapers and see on television. People, I think, are mostly wonderful. And so, therefore, if I act in a way that if I'm generous and kind and approachable, I think other people will tend to respond to that and will mirror that back to me. And so I tried to incorporate those ideas into my life. And that's generally, in fact, almost always my daily experience, that there are so many nice and wonderful people out in the world. And the, the more I've thought about this and experienced it, I think a lot of that is a function of me acting that way. And if I'm a sour puss and run around and snarl and snap at people, well, they're going to tend to respond similarly. But if I am out in the world and being a kind and generous and thoughtful and considerate person, I'm going to tend to engender those sorts of behaviors in other people. And how nice is that? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so Seek and You Shall Find. So if you're looking for, you know, people that are happy and you're also being happy yourself, you'll probably find it, huh? Yes, That's thank wonderful. You very
1: much. Seek and You Shall Find. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. Your message and everything is very, very wonderful. I think a lot of people need to hear it. And um, and I'm glad that we're able to help you kind of spread the word and everything. So. Uh, you want to tell me a little bit about your websites and your various forms of reaching out and various forms of reaching out to you to have <laughs> you do your speaks, speeches and everything? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Well, I have uh, two websites. Uh, I have one called longdistanceadventures.com. And on there, I've posted a number of these journals that I've kept on my long-distance hiking and cycling adventures. And also, there's soon going to be a book on there called How to Get Started with Long-Distance Hiking for people who are thinking about doing that but kind of don't know what to do to sort of get going. (laughs) For for people who are interested in that sort of thing, um, these journals can be particularly useful. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, when I went on my first uh, long-distance hikes, I went to trailjournals.com and read a lot of journals. Some of them were very helpful, and some of them were, frankly, useful. <laughs> the, the journals that I have are, are um, I think, they're edited. They've got photographs in them. They're, they're really nicely done, and they can be very helpful for people who want to do these long-distance adventures. Now, the other website I have is called allantcarpenter.com, and that is mainly supporting my uh, speaking So if there are listeners out there that would be interested in having me uh, present my messages to their organization, they can check out that website. Um, I also have a blog uh, attached to that where I post every week or two weeks uh, with ideas about uh, maintaining a healthy lifestyle and all the wonderful things that we can expect to happen as a consequence.
0: Hmm. That's wonderful. Well, we'll post uh, links to both of those websites as well as, you know what I mean, a description on our website and we'll put it out there and make sure that everyone gets to know as well as a link to this podcast as well. So definitely spreading the word and everything. And Hey, it was great having you, Ellen. And is you know, we've already spoken a number of times, you know, previously and everything, but it's always nice and a pleasure to speak with you.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Robert. The pleasure was
0: mine. All right. Well, um, Oh, and you had mentioned that you would later want to do a couple narratives similar to, um, what you do, um, in your public speeches as well right
1: yes that's right yes i uh i have a a more detailed version of when i got hurt and three really valuable lessons i learned from that experience Mm -hmm. and then uh during my pacific crest trail hike in 2014 i had two other mishaps that happened to me one because i was stupid again and the other (laughs) is just kind of happened that um are really wonderful, sort of funny stories that have uh, important messages attached to them. So I think they would be of, of great interest to your listeners, too.
0: Oh, yeah. I love how you take ownership for all those things as well. <laughs> you know, a lot of people go, well, it was the rocks fall, or, oh, it was the, <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, I love how you take full ownership for all those things that happen. That is wonderful. And, um, yeah, and so we'll be looking forward to listening to those stories as well at later podcasts. And we'll also, you know, of course, do the links and everything um, the same way. So anyway, without further ado, it was great talking with you again, Ellen. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you from the future, too. Good.
1: Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> All right, Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.